So I don't know, remember, I don't remember when it was. Um, I've probably told this story before. It was probably like 1978. Oh, wait, I said it wrong. 1978 in the year of our Lord. That's how I say anything from the 1900s to my kids, to just make them really know how old I am. How old I am. Yes. 1978. And I was in my kindergarten, preschool, and the president, Jimmy Carter, was going to drive down Highway 41. And we would have a chance to see the president. Do you remember this? Do you remember this happening? He's going to drive down Highway... I mean, I have no idea why. I was like four, right? But I remember we made signs and we drew up these things. And my, my preschool... Gosh, my preschool had to be close. Or maybe we drove. I don't remember. But um, we were... You, can, you know exactly where we were. We were... At Burger King, the Burger King that's on Covert and 41, I think we parked there, and then we, it wasn't a Burger King, no, it was a Burger King then, and we were stood along that fence, and we had balloons, and we had signs, and we were all shouting, and this black car drove by with this, this much of a hand sticking out, and that was it. We went back to preschool. <laughs> wow! So much. What just happened? Fast forward uh, 35 years, and um, people are talking like we're on the edge of World War III. And there I am, standing on a street corner in the city, and these cars come down the street, and it's Condoleezza Rice representing the United States, and it's Ahmoud Mahmoudijan, the president of Afghanistan, and gosh, I forget his name, whoever the president of Iran was, they all drove right by me. And I looked around, and everybody on the street just stopped. And they have a guy that drives on a motorcycle in front of him, and he has a loudspeaker. He now works at Los Bravos, and he goes, That's a joke. That's all I ever hear at Los Bravos. Well, it's the same guy. He's on a motorcycle, and he's going, And everybody is getting out of their way, and everybody on the street stops, And you see one bulletproof armored Mercedes after another go driving by. And finally, a couple of them, you know, a couple of them have Afghanistan flags and a couple of them have Iranian flags. And then a couple of them have United States flags. And I'm just standing there on the corner like if she looks out her window, Condoleezza Rice looks out her window, she's going to be like somebody on the street doesn't fit in. Because I stick out like a sore thumb, right? I mean, I might as well have bozo hair. I, I just stick out so foreign. They drove by. I saw all the excitement on the street, and I just prayed. Lord, please don't let World War III happen. But also, just bring salvation to all of these leaders that are driving down the street. 
So, that was 1978. That was 2005, six, something like that. Let's go back to about 2933 AD. Jesus is in Bethany. He is in one of his favorite places to be, you guys. There's there's a guy named Frank Viola, and he wrote a whole book just about Bethany and how much Jesus loved to go to Bethany. That's where Lazarus was from. That's where Mary and Martha were from. Uh, Jesus would regularly go visit there and be there, and then he stopped there on his way into Jerusalem to die. And word gets out. That Jesus is there and he's coming to Jerusalem. And it's just like my preschool teacher, and it's just like guy. Get excited. He's coming. They're coming. And so the people just have a party. And they 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 get together. And they start tearing off palm trees because palm branches, that was the symbol from about 150 years earlier. Judas Maccabees. Oh, gosh, you guys, just, I won't tell you the whole story. I'll tell you some of it, though. This horrible thing happened. The Greeks came in. They brought a pig, the most unclean animal possible. They marched this pig right into the temple, the Holy of Holies, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. They kill a pig. Well, the Ark of the Covenant might not have been there. That's a whole other story. They go into the Holy of Holies, and they sacrifice a pig to Zeus in the temple. Just to desecrate it. Just to show Zeus is better than Yahweh on all you Jewish people. And Judas Maccabees is just like, and goes Hulk. And he gets all of these army guys together. Uh, It says, this is one of my favorite lines from the books of Maccabees. They went and forcibly circumcised all the Greeks. So they fought hard and they were vicious and they just chopped their way in and they got into the temple and they cleansed all that pork blood off of things and they purified the temple and they only had enough oil for one night and they were blockaded in and the Greeks were attacking them and laying siege to the temple And miraculously, the oil lasted for seven nights. This is what Hanukkah is. You don't know that that's what Hanukkah is because they don't talk about that part of it very much to all of us outsiders. But gosh, think about that. So Judas Maccabees goes in, chops his way in, brutal, bloody, violent. They cleanse the temple. And now the temple is clean again. The Jewish people have their place and everyone celebrates by waving palm branches and they talk about Judas Maccabees comes marching out and everybody takes their coats off and they lay them on the road in front of him like this red carpet and he marches in victory. The temple is cleansed. God's chosen people have a holy place to communicate with God again. Everything is restored. So in that context, word gets out that Jesus is coming from Bethany. 
and he's coming to Jerusalem. And boy, those Romans are going to get it. They tax us. They charge us. They, they oppress us. They make us carry their stuff. It's by law you have to carry things for a mile if any Roman asks you to for no reason. Ah, oh, and here comes Jesus. <gasps> He's going to clean the temple once and for all. And so they see Jesus coming. They take their coats off. You know what? He's done already one. Let's get our palm branches just like we did when Judas cleaned out the temple. And they start waving them. Do you think this would be cause for alarm? Right? Because we know what a bloody mess it was when Judas Maccabees came through. And now Jesus is coming through. And Jesus has raised people from the dead. And he has given sight to the blind. He is going to be even more powerful and more bloody and more brutal and more victorious than Judas Maccabees. And so that's why everybody goes nuts on Palm Sunday. And they're all shouting. We... No, not us. Jesus turned Hosanna into a victory shout. We say Hosanna and we say it to celebrate because we know what Jesus did. At this time, the way Hosanna was used and the way Hosanna was used in in writings and um, even further back in the Babylonian exile and in the times of the prophets, it was a Hosanna. It was like a God have mercy. It was a it was a desperate and sad and oh God save us. And so when they're shouting Hosanna, it was a oh, do better than Judas Maccabees did. Save these Romans are still here. Like we defeated the Greeks and we got back the temple, but we're all still speaking Greek. There's, we're using Greek money. There's Roman soldiers all over the place. Save us. And so they are yelling and chanting and shouting. And that's what Palm Sunday, that is the beginning of this. Jesus goes marching in on that donkey, not a war horse, war machine, just a, just a simple transportation. And they're all throwing their coats down. The Gospel of John is the only one that records the cleansing of the temple after this. And Jesus does cleanse the temple and he uses the whips and he's cracking the whip and he's running the animals out. Uh, we, if you've ever, this would just be a fun thing to do and have somebody else clean up sometime, right? Cover a table with coins and then kick that table over and watch the coins go flying. Oh my gosh. Jesus did that. He really messed up the temple on this day. And he said it's for prayer. It is for worship. It is not for marketing and and commerce and all of this nonsense. So with that, oh my gosh, what are we doing? The New City Catechism questions for this week. Could it really fit that good? That well? We are doing questions 42 through 48. And then we'll finish it next week with 49, 50, 51, and 52. And I hope, I hope some of these, you know, reviewing these questions and thinking about these and meditating on them. And then uh, just the value of looking up 
You know, why, why is this true? Is this true? And why is it? And, and how does this affect me? And how does this relate to my life? Um, I, I hope that's been beneficial because as we, get, as we get into these, what really matters... Let's see. This will be a really weird statement. And I'll, it'll sound like I'm contradicting myself. <laughs> what you do with what you believe is more important than what you believe if you don't do anything. Sounds like something out of James. It's a little paraphrase. You can believe anything you want to say you believe. And you can say you believe it. But what you take action on and what you do with those beliefs shows what you really believe. So if I get in the car with one of my kids that I'm doing driver's ed and I say, you're a great driver. And I put on my seatbelt and I put on my helmet. I believe confidently that they are a good driver. Tighten up that chin strap. Make sure it's in good shape. Are my actions showing my beliefs? Are my beliefs really what I believe? What I say I believe, right? So as we think through what we believe, it's, it's the actions that really, really show that and really reveal it. So, question 42. How is the Word of God to be read and heard? Oh, that's an interesting question. With diligence, preparation, and prayer, so that we may accept it with faith and practice it in our lives. What good does it do to memorize the whole book of Romans and not put any of it into practice? Right? What good does it do to, to know chapter and verse that God so loved the world He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life and to not put that into action with believing it and acting on it. Wow, I have eternal life. Wow, that guy who trusts in Jesus has eternal life, even though he does have a nose ring. Whatever. To, to believe and act on these things. The other thing, how is the Word of God to be read and heard with diligence, preparation, and prayer? The, a, a revolution in Bible reading has happened in the last 10 years. Maybe the last 12 years. More people have access to the Bible than ever before in history. The, um, in the, I mean, Apple as a company is pretty liberal, um, pretty secular, all the way up to the top, right? In the Apple store in New York City, there is a display about the YouVersion Bible app talking about how with the iPhone and the YouVersion Bible app, the Bible who people have been working for, we'll say since the 1500s, to get the Bible into people's native language, to get the Bible out to people, more people are getting it than ever before through their iPhones. And um, so with that, you can be standing in line at Walmart and I can open up and I can read. I can read First Maccabees if I want to. Um, <laughs> but I can read the Gospel of John. I can get a reminder at 5 o'clock in the morning where my phone buzzes and says, your reading plan is ready. 
Do you want to read 1 John chapter 2, verse 16? You know, I've just made that up, but with such precision, we can read the Bible every day. The excuse to not read your Bible is, um, is getting a lot weaker with, with a Bible in your pocket all the time. Some crazy, horrible statistic, and I don't know what it is, so I'm not even going to make it up, but um, of the number of people that call themselves Christians and want to follow Jesus, how few of them ever read their Bibles is just, is just disturbing. Like, you wonder how the church even exists if so few people are actually reading their Bibles. So I think it's neat that it says in here, diligence, preparation, and prayer. We do it even when we don't feel like it. We do it as often as we can. We do it eagerly. And we do it with prayer because it is a spiritual thing. The Bible is a spiritual book. It was written by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the books that have been canonicalized and decided to be the books that are in the Bible were from councils of people seeking the Lord and praying and researching and trying to figure out, did Peter really write this? Why? Who is the Gospel of Thomas and does it fit with the other books and should we include it? No, we shouldn't. All of that. So the Bible is really wonderful and um, it just goes without saying to encourage you to, to read it however you can. I have one buddy and I told him about the YouVersion Bible app and he says, I hate reading the Bible on my phone. But then I realized I have an audio Bible with me wherever I go. And so he, the same app, he just listens to an audio Bible. He listens to the Bible be read to him every day. It's a great, it's a great way to interact with God's Word. A great way. Emphasis on great way, because now we're going to the next one. Question 43. What are the sacraments or ordinances? You didn't even know there were sacraments and ordinances, were there? But now you want to know what they are. The short answer is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now remember, this is for kids. They're counting on you, adults, to fill in the blanks and to teach the rest. Um, Speaking of apps, if you had the app, the longer answer on the New City Catechism app is the sacraments or ordinances given by God and instituted by Christ, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper, are visible signs and seals that we are bound together as a community of faith by His death and resurrection. By our use of them, the Holy Spirit more fully declares and seals the promises of the gospel to us. Okay, so what in the world does all that mean? Well, um, first I'm going to tell you my bias, because I want you to, you need to figure these things out for yourself and explore them for yourself. And the more you have them for yourself, the more established you'll be and the more confident you'll be of them. But, uh, sacraments and ordinances, you guys, I'm not a fan so, the sacraments, at, at some point, it was really good for the church to get together and to have a meal together and to eat. And as they would do that, there were people there that were at the Last Supper with Jesus. And people would say, hey, 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 Bartholomew, hey, 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 Philip, tell us how he did it. Tell us what it was like. And they would retell 
what it was like to have Passover with Jesus the night before he died. And they would talk about how he broke the afikomen and how he took this cup and he said, this is a cup of the blood, of my blood, of the new covenant poured out for you. And whoa, wow, a new covenant. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. You guys, we just went through the whole book of Galatians, right? About word from the Spirit and life in the Spirit and our, our sins being taken away. And so they would retell these stories, retell these stories. The stories would get passed down. The stories would get passed down. And they began to revere eating that bread and drinking that cup so much that they started to put some rules around it. And they started to put some boundaries around it. And they made it a sacrament. And by making it a sacrament, they started to make that thing and that activity super important. I'm trying to be fair here. They made it very important. Baptism. They would describe how John was baptizing people and how Jesus went along with the other people and Jesus was baptized. And man, when Jesus got baptized, it was the Holy Spirit came down. I mean, the Holy Spirit visible. It was like a bird. I mean, it was that visible, the Holy Spirit. And there was a voice from heaven. It's one of the only places in Scripture where all at once you see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all doing a thing together at the same time. Wow. Baptism. You know what? Jesus was baptizing people. He was having his disciples baptize people in water. And so that was the way that they came into the group. Yes, we should keep doing that. So the early church would start baptizing people when they, when they would come in. Uh, the apostle Paul got baptized, right? When he got baptized, scales fell from his eyes. And so baptism is a big deal. We need to... We need to make that sacred. We need to put some rules around that and some steps around that so that we can keep baptism a thing. And so baptism became a sacrament. You fast forward to the, the 300s and Constantine starts really, you know what, we want some real rules around these church things that we do to keep them and preserve them. And all of a sudden, marriage becomes a sacrament. All of a sudden, confession becomes a sacrament because you, you want to confess your sins and be holy and pure before you go eat communion. And the sacraments increase and the sacraments increase and the sacraments increase. Have I ruined it? I don't want to ruin it. But I want to set the stage here for the next few questions. So the sacraments or ordinances for people that... Um, that hold to the sacraments and the ordinances, the, the language they use is that they are ways that God's grace is administered to us. And so you do these things, and by doing these things, God's grace is delivered to you and comes to you. So the next question. Since the answer to what are the sacraments and ordinances is this very short answer, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the next question is, what is baptism? Answer, baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that sounds like a pretty incomplete answer, but that's okay because this is for kids. And they need adults to explain it more. 
The fuller answer in the New City Catechism is it signifies and seals our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. All right, we're going to talk about that more. Let's go to question 45. Is baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? You guys have heard the joke before that um, this guy got baptized and he just in the river and he just felt so sorry for all those fish that got all of his sins. All of his sins just probably killed all the fish in the river. That is a, that is a good sentiment, but it's funny. No, only the blood of Christ can cleanse us from sin. All right, so that answers all your questions about baptism. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Don't worry, we're going to circle back. What is the Lord's Supper? Question 46. Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him. That's another incomplete answer. <laughs> the long, a longer answer. He commanded all Christians to eat bread and drink from the cup. In thankful remembrance of him and his death, the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst, bringing us into communion with God and with one another, feeding and nourishing our souls. It anticipates the day when we'll eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. That is all beautiful, and it's kind of taken pick-pick from various scriptures, but we're going to talk about more in depth in a minute. Next question. Does the Lord's Supper add anything to Christ's atoning work? So here they are. These are our Protestants trying to balance salvation by grace through faith, but also having rules. And it's kind of entertaining to watch. It really is. Because they just said you have to have the Lord's Supper. But they have to balance that with Ephesians that were saved by grace and not by works. Do you see how this is a, this is a kind of a complicated thing? So, does the Lord's Supper add anything to Christ's atoning work? Question 47. No! Christ died once and for all. You are not saved by eating communion. It's a covenant meal celebrating Christ's atoning work. It's a means of strengthening our faith as we look to Him and a foretaste of the future feast. So, no offense, Mike, you're awesome that you got those things, but that is not a foretaste of the heavenly feast, right? No matter how good that little wafer tastes, I'm sorry, my friends, the heavenly feast will be much better than that. It'll involve a lot more garlic and a lot more butter, I'm sure. That's just my own opinion. I don't have scripture to back that up. All right, so let's talk about, we're going to talk about all these uh, as a bunch. So we talked about when we went through Galatians, there are a lot of ways to follow the Holy Spirit that are really, really good. To read the Bible and to talk about it is going to make you grow so much spiritually. Uh, there's this big survey report called MOVE, and they, they interviewed hundreds of thousands of Christians all across the United States, and they found the number one contributor to spiritual growth is reading your Bible, and, and if you want to go one up from that, talk about what you read with other people. Number one thing, better than going to church, better than going to seminary, better than uh, going through all kinds of suffering, better than fasting, anything. The number one thing that makes people grow in their faith and grow spiritually, reading their Bible, and then you want to multiply on top of that, talk about it with somebody. So do we... 
do we need to make a law about write, reading your Bible? No. Because as soon as you make a law about it and you put something around it, now the thing just replaced the point of the thing. Does that make sense? So, also on the Version Bible app, not to just be an advertisement all day, when you open it up, it gives a streak of how many days in a row you have read your Bible. And it's so exciting because you can open it up and you'll be like, I read my Bible 23 days in a row. I'm on a 23-day streak. Do you know what day I almost never read the Bible on the Version Bible app? Sunday. Because I'm busy in my Bible program and I'm busy reading my paper Bible. And so all the time, Monday morning, I'm getting ready to start my week and I open it up and it says, your streak is one. Like, you got to be kidding me. I just like preached my heart and soul out yesterday and I get one point. If we turn that into a righteousness play, right? I have a buddy. And his streak, he will send me screenshots, and it'll be 415. 415, like he's read the new verse. No, 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 guess what he did? He opened the app. And then he closed the app, and he moves on to other things, and he's reading his real paper Bible. Real. He's reading his paper Bible. I have another buddy, and he travels all around the world. And he's like, dude, it's hard sometimes. Because if I cross the date line while I'm on a flight, like he flies to Dubai, and, you know, that's 6, 10, 12-hour time change. He has to open up his app on the airplane in the right time zone to make sure his streak of like 600 days doesn't get broken. It's hilarious. We make, I just tell him, you put your phone in airplane mode. You change the date back a few days. It registers right. You come back. Okay, now I'm really cheating, right? Anyway. When we make rules about these things, we destroy the thing. February 14th, I bring in scrambled eggs and bacon and sausage on a big wooden tray and I plop it down on my wife as she lays in bed and I say, happy Valentine's Day, duty done, see you later. (laughs) I go downstairs, kids, I've got the best marriage ever. I just gave mom... Breakfast in bed on Valentine's Day. Wash the dishes. I did it, right? Awesome. Husband of the year material here. Awful. I think that's what happens when we turn these things into sacraments and ordinances. I I was around some people and we're just talking about Christian community and we're talking about life in Christ together and this guy says gosh I just want to sing the doxology right now (laughs) like he was so passionate and so encouraged and he didn't know how to express it he just wanted to sing praise God from whom all blessings flow and and I just laughed and I was like that's so funny that's such a that's so pure that's such a beautiful expression like you really want to Show your love for God. I've been around a group of people and we were just so loving the Lord and the fellowship together that somebody said, we need to have communion right now. How can we? Like, I want to have communion. I want to break bread. We had Oreos and Mountain Dew. 
We did it. Jesus broke this. It was an Oreo. We're on a stripper pit. We're on the edge of a stripper pit with Oreos and Mountain Dew. Exalting the Lord. Considering His body. That is beautiful. A sacrament and an ordinance wrapped around that would say that didn't count. You were blaspheming God when you broke that Oreo. And that's why I get a little upset about sacrifices and ordinances, right? This is a cautionary tale to us. That people follow Jesus in different ways. And sometimes that's okay. We're talking about Ramadan. There are Muslim people that live as Muslim people. And they do all the Muslim things. Because if they follow Jesus, they'll die. They will be killed. And so when they bow down to face Mecca and pray, no joke, they turn a little bit to the left and point towards Jerusalem and pray. Because in their soul, deep down, they are praying to Jesus, not Allah. But they're afraid of what will happen if they're exposed as being a Christian. And so if you looked at them and you watched what they did, you'd be like, that person is Muslim. Well, they're Muslim because everywhere they live, everybody around them is living Muslim. And if you talk to them about Jesus, they will tell you, he died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. And according to Romans, that means they're a Christian and that means they're saved. Wow. Cautionary tale. When we make these things into rules about how we need to do spiritual things, bad things happen. A lot of people don't talk about In 1541, John Calvin had a man burned at the stake because he was against infant baptism. And so this this commitment to follow Jesus at some point quit being a commitment to follow Jesus and a commitment to make these sacred ordinances sacred. And you can't disagree with them. Uh, there's a Geneva Council. This is during the Protestant Reformation, you guys. Like, like the thing that was cleaning out corruption in the church and, and inventing the Protestant church. They declared that the Institutes of Christian Religion, which was this commentary that John Calvin wrote, quote, is holy doctrine which no man can speak against. So it was like his commentary on the Bible was so holy that nobody could speak against it. And if you spoke against it, you were executed. So why do I bring all of this stuff up? There's stuff that we believe is the right way. It's the right thing. This is how it's done. And we want to take all that stuff to Jesus and say, Jesus, I think this is the right way it's done. But how else could it be done? How else can I follow you? Or how else can I help these other people follow you? Something that we learned in our cross-cultural training is that we always want to do things that other people could imitate. So if worshiping Jesus for me means sitting in a Maserati and going 95, and that's where I really express my love for Jesus. 
That's okay. That's weird. But nobody else can imitate that unless they can buy a Maserati and find a place to drive 95 miles an hour, right? That's why I bring up this bizarre, strange example. The Lord always wants to bring more people in. He's using you to show what the Christian life is. And so if you put a bunch of rules about how to do things and around it, you're going to exclude some people that are really trying to figure it out. Does that make sense? When um, we brought some people to church here and we were, they were asking what to wear. I said, you can, well, you can wear anything. You can wear jeans. It doesn't matter what you wear at their church. And these people were shocked that they wouldn't get judged by what they wear. Somehow what they've been influenced by is people got to dress up. People got to be fancy. You better be fancy at church or else. And just to take away that barrier, to take away that sacrament and that ordinance of you have to dress fancy when you go to church. Helped people come to the Lord. Gosh. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if we put a rule on somebody that you only get the Holy Spirit if you blank, not only are we contradicting Ephesians chapter 1, but we're putting a barrier before people that's a man-made barrier, not a God-made barrier. In Romans it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. At some point, people got into baptism. And baptism was how you entered the church. And it was a symbolic way of washing away your past and coming into the church. Now I'm a part of all of you. But then it got changed and it got turned into, this is where the Holy Spirit comes down upon you. You get the Holy Spirit at baptism. And that's not true. That's not in the Bible. That was invented in like the 1500s. You receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. Now, is that saying baptism is bad? No. Not any more than coming to church on Sunday is bad. Not any more than praying before you eat is bad. But we've got to understand it's not a magic hocus pocus, boom, now you're saved thing, right? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In the 80s, I bought a Nintendo on layaway at Hills. And I was so excited to walk out of Hills that day with my little layaway ticket. Because I didn't have the 70 bucks to buy an old Nintendo. I just had like 20 from mowing grass to get it started on layaway. And it was mine. Well, the piece of paper was mine. And I held it and I kept it in a safe place just like it was the Nintendo. Just like it was Super Mario Brothers and, and all the games I wanted to play. 
That's the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit now. And just let me just blow your minds. Everything that the Holy Spirit has is to the whole kingdom of heaven that that little layaway slip from hills was compared to my whole life of Nintendo video game stuff. Wow. The Holy Spirit is just a seal, just a deposit. It's a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So, we have the Holy Spirit. We do baptism because it's great. It is a great symbol. It is a great celebration. It is a great testament to what's happening. It's an excuse to invite in a whole bunch of people to show them. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. Why do we do it? We do it because it's just such a great symbol. It's such a great interactive thing to see, to act on, to do, to participate in. Why do we have Passover meals? Because it's great. It's this great activity. It makes us grow. None of it is necessary for salvation. Oh my. All right. I'm not going to read all of 1 Corinthians 11, but I'm going to send you there for your homework. Paul talks about how great the Lord's Supper is. But nowhere in it is he saying it's the way that we get saved and it's the way we interact with Christ. We interact with Christ by the Spirit, not with bread. Which comes to the last question, which is really going to shed light on all of this. Oh dear. Question 48. What is the church? A community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. The church is the body of Christ. That's it. That's the answer. So we call church, you know, we go to church. What are we going to do at church? We've got to fix the HVAC system at the church, right? And we use all these words. We use that word pretty loosely. It means a whole lot of things. I don't know how good he's doing. He hasn't been to church. Well, ultimately, the church is the body of Christ. That's how the Bible talks about the church. It's a group. It's a gathering. And uh, I love the way Brett Nicholson put it. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you don't go to church, you won't grow as a Christian. And that is just such a great, a great summary. Being a part of a group. Now, church could happen. There's a guy named Neil Cole, and he talks about how to have church at 3 a.m. in a Walmart parking lot. And when you read what his description of church is at 3 a.m. in a Walmart parking lot, you're like, gosh, I want to go to that church. The Holy Spirit is showing up there. That is awesome. And, of course, they don't have pews, and they don't have a pulpit, and they don't have a candle, and they don't have an organ. The church is the body of Christ. And the more she gets together the more she's going to grow. So, with all this, gosh, we did a whole bunch of church history, we did a whole bunch of theology. As you go about your life, there's things that come up, and there's things, and man, just go back to Jesus. Just go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you think about this? How does this play out for you? And how do you want me to do it? I'll never forget the day... uh, Cindy and I, our family, we hadn't been going to church anywhere for months. And we were kind of burned out on church. And a guy at work mentioned a PowerPoint 
a PowerPoint presentation. And all of a sudden it just clicked with me that that is how God does church in this culture. With a person standing up in front of a whole bunch of people and talking, and that's how we all grow. And sometimes there's a PowerPoint. That church, there's, like I had a PowerPoint. This wasn't even for a church thing. And I was like, we have to be a part of a Christian community. We have to be a part of the body of Christ. Staying home on Sunday mornings isn't growing us, no matter how many Bible studies we have. And so I texted her, we're going to church on Sunday. She was like, what? Because this guy told me to. That guy's not even Christian. (laughs) But he's got a PowerPoint presentation. And all of a sudden, however, whatever culture you're in, whatever little subculture, whatever group, I love to hear from Keith Hefley at the Evansville Protestant Home, the ways that he is having church among people during COVID at the Evansville Protestant Home is total missionary work. And it's awesome. Whatever subculture you're in, whatever group you're in, whatever place, the Holy Spirit is there in you and He wants to show off. And it might be with the baptism and it might be with the communion and it might be with the marriage and it might be with the confession and it might be with the conversation. It might be with the sacrament of conversation. It might be with the ordinance of friendship and a high five. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you'll see Him working in all these ways. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are so much bigger than our institutions and our organizations. Thank you so much that you work your Holy Spirit through us even when uh, all of church history has been constrained by these things. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would show us ways to show off your Holy Spirit, that you would show us ways to live in your kingdom and to bring it to the people around us even if they're already in it. And show off, especially this week, as we celebrate your resurrection in our culture. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's...